Thank you to the worship team. That was a that was an ideal song to lead us into this to the sermon this morning. And as uh, and as uh, Renee said, this is the last Sunday in this series on counterfeit gods. Um, this morning I came in, and you know we have these big banners on the church, and the and the tall banner that is right over here was laying on the ground. It had come loose, and so. Uh, God and I are on the same page in that we're done with the series, right? That's the way I took that. And he says, you're done. I said, that's what I was planning on doing. So, hey, we're all good. We're on the same page. Uh, But we've spent the last three months in uh, looking at counterfeit gods. And in my opinion, it's been a great series. And And I say that because so many of the things that we've been talking about, like, have hit home for me. And uh, I've been uh, convicted many times over. In fact, some of these, and maybe you can think back on some of these sermons that we've had and the growth group lessons and, and these things, and you think, that is the one that I need to remember. That's, that's going to be the thing that rises up into my heart that can, can rival God for having the greatest love and importance in my own life. And, and so, in fact, as we've been going through this, I, there were certain things that stood out to me, and uh, so I wrote myself a creed. All the things that uh, I believe about God and about myself, and I keep reading these things, because these are the things that I need to sink deep into my heart. I keep reading this creed every week, a few times a week, and just because I know the battle against counterfeit gods is so hard. In fact, even though this is the last sermon in the series, this is not the last application because this is a a lifelong battle. In fact, I think there is a reason that God gave the Ten Commandments. The first two are the are the one the first two, and if we take them as, hey, there's some progression here. The the first two are one, you shall have no other gods before me. And then the second one is you shall not make for yourself an, an idol, basically. And that's what this whole series has been about. Not having anything that comes before God, not setting up idols in our hearts. Now, that sounds, uh, that sounds very good, and we may think, well, of course not. But in my own experience, oftentimes I feel like it's two steps forward and one step back. You know, I'll make a commitment to God. God, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to uh, put that as a priority in my life. My life is completely devoted to you, and I'll, I'll make that commitment, and it's two steps forward and one step back. And I find myself going right back to where I started, and I think I'm not going to uh, concern myself with, the, with what others think of me. You know, that idol of reputation. And I take those two steps forward, and then what do I do? I find myself concerned with what others around me think. And I make the commitment, God, I'm not going to live for the idol of success. My identity is going to be found in Christ. And I make that commitment. It's in my creed. I read my creed. And I take two steps forward, and then I find myself uh, right, uh, going back to those old habits seeking to find my importance or my identity in what I can do rather than what Christ has done for me. Oftentimes the Christian life feels like two steps forward and one step back. 
And that's what I want to talk about in this last, uh, this last sermon. Because as I said, this is the last in the series, but this is not the last that applies to our life. And if we are diligent and seeking to put away counterfeit gods in our lives, because that's really what the whole Christian life is about. It's about putting away anything in our lives that would, that would compete for, with God for our greatest love and, our, and what's most important in our lives. That's what the whole Christian life is about, but it's hard. And sometimes we can become discouraged or even frustrated. And so what do we do with that? What do we do uh, when we feel like it's two steps forward and one step back? And that's, that's what I want to focus in on this morning. An idol is anything we put in our lives ahead of God. Anything that we look to that really only God can provide, that we really should be looking to God for. And so, for example, we, those things that give us identity and, and importance in our lives, the things that we think will make our life worth living, that... that uh, that, uh, that give our life value. The things that would satisfy our hearts. And there are so many things around us. In fact, our culture is so sat- saturated with them that we, even as Christians, can let those things seep into our lives so that we are living for those more than we are living for God. And that's the whole point of this series, to call those things out. Because I have noticed that sometimes when it comes to money and materialism, we as Christians don't live differently than anyone else. We are just as much in pursuit of those things as everyone else. When it comes to uh, what we're going to find as, uh, as most important in our lives, we pursue after relationships and we pursue after love and we pursue after uh, what others think of us and all of those things, just like everybody else. And so we need to call these things out so that we can recognize them in our own lives because these are the things that will rob us from living life with Christ. The things that will rob us from experiencing all the joy that God wants wants us to have in life with Christ. And so we've talked about things like success and reputation, money, material things, relationships, uh, and the pursuit of love, and all of these things, if we are not diligent in them, can compete uh, with God for having the greatest uh, value and importance in our lives. We, and none of those things are bad. Like, don't, don't, I need to emphasize, everything that we've talked about in and of itself is good. It's when we love those things more than we love God, or when we love those things supremely. Jesus taught us you cannot serve two masters. He says no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And what, apply, and what Jesus is talking about in money, we can apply to all kinds of things in our lives. We make those things central. And so here's the first point that I want to make this morning. When you have built your life around the pursuit of something or someone, it's going to be difficult to put those desires in their proper place. Again, the, the 
the thought is not that they ought not to exist. It's just they have to be put in their proper place. Remember the umbrella up here? We had that umbrella on Funfest Sunday. Everything has to go under the reign of God, under the reign of Christ, to put it in its proper place. And to recognize that this is an ongoing struggle. Battling counterfeit gods is a lifelong struggle. And it can be frustrating at times because it can feel like it's two steps forward and one step back. And I keep saying two steps forward and one step back. Sometimes it feels like it's two steps back and you're right back to where you started with. Or maybe three steps back and you're worse than you were before. But it's, and and when, when we feel that way, it can be so frustrating Maybe you can uh, relate to these things. You know, I've mentioned the things that I think of in my own life, but maybe it is you decide in your own heart, as we've been going through this series, I'm not going to be materialistic anymore. I'm just, I'm going to live for Christ and and I'm not going to let myself be controlled about about, uh, about the stuff that I can obtain, my possessions. And yet we live in a culture that is so, that we just get ads bombarding us all the time and everyone lives that way. And pretty soon our hearts desire the next new thing that's going to come out. And we fall right back into that trap. Or maybe you go to school and there's such pressure to say, I, I want to fit in. I want to be well-liked. And you worry about what others think of you. And you say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to fall into that anymore. But the pressure uh, to be popular drives us. And so we find ourselves again falling into that trap. Or maybe you're a mom and you said, I'm going to raise my kids differently. I'm gonna, my kids are going to find their identity in Christ. And, uh, and we made up our mind that, that we're going we're gonna to parent in a way that's going to direct them towards Jesus. But then we find ourselves, why did I say that? Why did I, why did I emphasize that? And, we, and it could be the way we greet them when they come home from school or the way we look at a report card. But we, we are, again, nudging them, sometimes unconsciously towards success or, or being concerned with what others think of them. And it's hard, and we beat ourselves up about it, and we can get discouraged. Or maybe you decide, you know what, I'm not going to fall into this trap of, of uh, pursuing success at work. If it happens, great. If it's a gift from God, that's wonderful. But I'm not going to let it be the driving force of my life. And yet we find ourselves working longer hours again desiring to climb the corporate ladder. It's almost like it's hardwired within us. And that's exactly right. We get hardwired and it's hard to change. That's why these things become central in our lives. And that's why we call them idols or counterfeit gods. It's, it's hard to change. And maybe you thought things would change after you retired. And then everything would be much easier. The kids are out of the house. I'm not having to worry about work And yet you find yourself having just as much anxiety in your life as you ever have. And things in your life that you would love to control, you realize are outside of your control. And you're worried about your health. You worry about your kids. And you worry about this and that. And uh, and at the heart of it is idolatry. Because we're trying to be our own God and control what we cannot control. It's the idol of control. 
Now, I'll admit all of these things can be quite frustrating. I get frustrated in myself. I've been a Christian for a long time. And I think, shouldn't I be more along the road than I am? Why do I continue to struggle with some of these things that I've struggled with for decades? It feels like it's two steps forward and one step back. If there's anyone in the Bible who is a man of two steps forward and one step back, it's the person of Jonah in the Old Testament. Here's a guy that uh, we, we read his story, and, and, uh, the, and it's a story that many of us know. Uh, in fact, even if you haven't uh, grown up in the church, you probably have heard the story of Jonah. God comes to Jonah and he tells him to go to the, land, to the city of Nineveh and to, and to tell them that God is upset with how they're living and they need to turn to God. And Jonah, for whatever reason, says, I'm not going that way. I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm going the opposite direction. I'm going to Tarshish. And, and what happens is he's on his, the ship to Tarshish and a storm rages and the, and the people on the, on the boat re- begin to think, maybe God is, maybe the gods are upset with us. Maybe someone on this boat has done something to make God mad. The thing is, they're right. The person's name is Jonah, but they don't know that, and so they cast lots. Sure enough, it falls to Jonah, and he admits, I'm running from my God. And they say, well, what should we do? He says, throw me in the sea. They'll think, then God will really be mad at us. But at their wit's end, eventually they throw him into the sea, and he's come, and he's swallowed by a whale. Or at least that's what we tell them in Sunday school. The Bible says a great fish. A whale's probably a good one. It's big enough to swallow a human. So he's, he's in the belly of this uh, great fish for three days and three nights. And then finally he prays and he cries out to God. Let me read his prayer. Jonah 2, 8 and, uh, through 10. This is Jonah talking. He's in the belly of a great fish. He says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry ground. And I read that, I'm like, Yeah, Jonah's finally got it! He's uh, finally crying out for the Lord. He's turning away from his worthless idols. And he says, I'm going to do whatever you've told me to do. And he says, I'll proclaim salvation comes from the Lord. And so the fish vomits him up, and and eventually he makes his way to Nineveh. He finally goes where God wants him to go. And so then we read about him going into the city and preaching. And what I expect to read is a person that goes into the city and they're full of all kinds of excitement. God's rescued him. He's done this uh, miraculous work in his life. And I expect him to go in and he's shouting and full of energy, hey, salvation belongs for, uh, comes from the Lord. And come in or, with all this energy and everyone will hear him and be excited about what he's excited about. But that's not what we see him doing. The other thing we might expect is he's going to come in with great conviction and passion. He's a, I better do it on this one or I'll break that one. Comes in with the old preacher pounding the uh, podium. Fire and brimstone preacher, but that's not what we see either. Look at what we see in Jonah 3, 4. This is his message. Eight words. 
40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the worst sermon I've ever heard. (laughs) Some of you probably wish I preached eight-word sermons. But uh, eight words, and this is how I think he he delivered it. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. (laughs) And then he turns and he walks the other way. Now, the amazing thing is the sermon actually sinks into their hearts. They actually repent. I've oftentimes wondered, how in the world did people respond to that? Well, keep in mind, this guy's been in stomach acid for three days. So he probably looks a little crazy. But, but somehow it works. And the, and the people repent. Verse 10 of Jonah 3. When God saw what they did... And how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And that's where we end the story. What a wonderful story. Jonah finally gets it. He's turned. He's gone into the city. The people repent. And, it, and that's where we end the Sunday school story. It's a wonderful story with a happy ending, right? The only problem is there's one more chapter in the book of Jonah. And here's what we see in chapter 4. Jonah has gone up on the edge of a mountain, and uh, he's pitched his lawn chair and uh, where he can see the city of uh, Nineveh, and he's waiting for the fireworks show to start. Like, he's waiting for literally fire and brimstone to come from heaven and destroy the whole people, and he's going to love every minute of it. Oh, man, he's pumped. The only thing he's missing is a bag of popcorn and large soda. And uh, he's sitting there, and it's going to be a wonderful show. But the thing is, the fire never comes. There's no brimstone that rains from heaven. The longer Jonas sits there, the angrier he gets. Come on, God, let him have it. These are terrible people. Pretty soon, a plant grows up behind him. And Jonah, he really likes that plant. Oh, man, it gives me shade from the sun. But then God sends a worm, and it kills the plant. And he gets angry. And he, uh, angry, he, de- he decides he'd rather die than uh, sit there. And listen to, what he, um, listen to what he says here in verses 2 and 3. Isn't this what I said? This is Jonah 4, 2 and 3. Isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And it's a pitiful scene. The, the problem that Jonah has here is that he does not even recognize what's in his own heart. These counterfeit gods have taken such root within his own life, he can't even see it. And that's my first hope of this series. That at least the eyes of our hearts might be have opened a little bit that we might begin to recognize what is in our own hearts. The first step in battling counterfeit gods is to recognize them and name them to recognize them and name them. And so that's, my, that's one of my questions of application for you today. What is it for you? 
What are these things in your life that will compete with God for greatest love? The things that might uh, rise up in your heart to, 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 that you seek to find your life in. As we've been going through this series, I, ha- I always have ears on the lookout for uh, those that are what, they're ta- what we're talking about. And, and uh, two people have got my attention, and, I, and I'll have a few people share this morning. But two people have got my attention. I, I've asked uh, Alma and Kim to come and to share just some of the things that they've been thinking about and uh, some of the things that they've been wrestling with. And I recognize that this is a step of vulnerability. And so I really appreciate them being willing to share. So Alma, Kim, why don't you come and and, uh, share what you've been thinking about as we've been going through this together. You can go first. Good morning. I learned that a counterfeit God is anything or anyone that we put first in our lives, rather than God. I learned that I have many counterfeit gods. I love to play golf, and sometimes I put that first ahead of God. And as I am aging, I need to keep up my health and put my workout and gym work ahead of God. I love to bake, and I love to watch the Hallmark Channel and television, And so sometimes I put that ahead of God. But probably the biggest counterfeit God is me. I think I know better than God what my priorities should be. The things that I do and love are all good and worthy and bring joy to me. But I need to put them in perspective. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I am changing is learning to do my quiet time first thing in the morning, and making God a priority in my life. I can't do it every day, but try to do it whenever I can. When I do that, I feel that my day goes by smoother, and um, I feel like I am in a relationship with God rather than being disconnected. I can also bring my decisions to him and and ask him for direction. That way I make time for him to speak to me, and, and I try to listen. Sometimes God uses things in my life to catch my attention. Recently, I injured my arthritic knee, and, and I was in pain. I had to slow down and ice it and rest it, but God gave me an opportunity to spend more time to, with him and be connected, connected with him. It feels good to know that I can hear him. When I make time for him, I ask him to walk beside me and guide me and make the right decisions in my life. Although it appears that I have the perfect quiet time, I, like most of you, struggle to make the time to spend with God. And I know that when I do that, he is rejoicing. Um, I hope you too will learn what your counterfeit gods are, and as um, Pastor Corey said, to recognize them and name them. Mm-hmm. And I hope that you'll be able to make the changes that you desire. Amen. Good 
One of the things I wrestle most with is thinking I have control over everything in mine and my family's lives. I know it's normal to worry about your family's safety and well-being, but I took that to a new level. I know this stems from losing my brother as a young adult, but I thought if I always knew where they were, who they were with, or if I could be there, I could ensure their, their safety and protect them from anything terrible happening. But like Pastor Darren said last week, life is messy and unpredictable. You can't prevent bad things from happening. Mm -hmm. This series helped me to really think about this issue. It made me realize that even though I prayed about it and gave it to God, I often resorted back to putting myself in charge. I've learned that looking to ourselves can be an idol in our lives. It's funny, too, because one of my favorite Bible verses has always been Philippians 4, 6, which reads... Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. I will continue to pray for God's grace and help to remind myself that I don't have to carry this or any burden by myself. God is our protector, defender, and our strength. What an amazing gift that is. All we have to do is trust him and let him be that for us. Amen. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you both for sharing those testimonies. Like, uh, as, as Kim just said, like, we have to remember who God is. In fact, that, that's key when we grow frustrated in our lives in the, in the battle against counterfeit gods. You know, Jonah's sitting in this chair and and uh, he's acting like a little baby, and uh, it's quite a pitiful little picture. But at least he gets one thing right. He uh, brings up the character of God. And he, ta- and he begins to talk about, and, and Kim just did the same thing, but he begins to talk about how God is, he said, I, I shouldn't have come. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. And the ironic thing is, if anyone deserves to receive God's judgment on the spot, it's not the Ninevites, it's Jonah himself. Like, it's a good thing I'm not God because I would have struck him down right there. I mean, what a little brat thinking like this. Uh, But the thing that we have to remember in our own frustration is that this is actually who God is all the time. And God may, and we may even think God looks upon us and says, what a little brat, but he never does. He doesn't strike Jonah down. He doesn't strike the Ninevites down. Now, he does discipline them to draw them back to himself. But the thing, as we have to remember in all of our lives, is that God is gracious and compassionate. In fact, when frustrated in the battle against counterfeit gods, remember that it's not your efforts. It's the grace, compassion, and patience of God. Not a single person here earned their salvation. 
none of us were good enough that God would say, okay, you made it, good job, you're a good enough person, and none of us will earn our sanctification. None of us will ever be able to live a perfect life or ever be able to say, uh, I'm done with counterfeit gods. It is inevitable that there will be times where we grow frustrated with ourselves, but we remember it's never been about us. It's never been about what I could do. It is all the grace of God. And we remind ourselves of the character of God. And we remind ourselves that God is patient with us. That when we feel frustrated with ourselves, He's not frustrated with us. That He's patient with us. In fact, He loves us so much, He wants to continue to draw us to Himself. What we see here with Jonah is taking two steps forward and one step back. A couple weeks ago when, we, when my growth group was meeting, uh, Luisa is a member of my growth group. I'm going to introduce her in a second. But uh, we were studying the, the growth group lesson on Jesus and Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus, that short little guy who climbed up in the tree to see Jesus passing by? And Jesus says, I'm going to your house today. Here I'm almost singing the Sunday school class. Uh, but that, but Jesus goes and Zacchaeus is... Uh, Zacchaeus is so overcome, he says, I'm done being a materialistic person. My whole life I've taken advantage of people and accumulated all this wealth. I'm going to give it all to the poor. Anyone that I've done, I'm going to pay back t- uh, twofold. Is it twofold or fourfold? Anyway, he gets, what is it? Fourfold. And uh, he, gets, he gets going. And, uh, and, and someone in my growth group asked, you know, well, that's hard to do. And what are we, what are we to do when we can't do that? And uh, everyone kind of looks towards me because I'm the pastor. But uh, Louisa spoke up before I did. And uh, she gave an answer. And then uh, when she was done, and I was just sitting there thinking, wow, that's a, that's a great answer. In fact, when people looked at, uh, to me when she was done, she was like, that's a better answer than I would have given. And so I want to invite Louisa to come. And if she can remember, I want her to share exactly what uh, she was sharing that night. But the idea is that Louisa was talking about how she digs down deeper in her faith uh, each day. So Louisa. Mr. Corey kind of recap what I kind of wrote. So, Sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> so I'm going to try to uh, change up mine a little bit. And so um, what I did really um, like the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And what I noticed this time around as we we're sharing in our growth group is that he actually put the effort to see Jesus. He climbed a sycamore tree to see over the crowd so he could see Jesus. And we know that from the story that he doesn't only see Jesus, he actually encounters Jesus. And we know that he was a crook. I mean, he was a tax collector and he was seen as a crook. But yet, um, that didn't stop Jesus from loving him because he stopped at that sycamore tree. He looked up and he called him by his name. And he said, I want to be a guest at your house. That honor to be singled out amongst the crowd, to be called by name, and the privilege to spend time with Jesus alone must have really impressed upon Zacchaeus because his heart was immediately changed and transformed, and he received the gift of salvation. 
And when I heard this story many times before, I focused on the fact that um, of his salvation and transformation. Basically, he was um, uh, cleaning himself with all his wrongdoings. However, during our growth group discussions, I focused on Zacchaeus' intentional actions to see Jesus. Mm. I realized in the story that when we purposefully seek the Lord, we, he will meet us, call us by name, and transform us even more than we can imagine. I have learned over and over again that Jesus longs to be with us. If we truly seek him and put in the effort to seek him, such as reading the Bible, worshiping him, praising him, praying to him, just coming before him, we will find him and build a personal relationship with him. In fact, like Zacchaeus, we will not only find him, but we will have an encounter with him where our hearts will be transformed. This encounter is not a one-time event. Seeking and pursuing Jesus is something we should do daily. As we fill our lives with more and more of Jesus, it reduces the chances of counterfeit gods in our lives. For me, I know I have a lot of work to do. Um, I need to improve my quiet times. I'm not a morning person, and I'm usually rushing off just to get to work on time. What I do do um, in the morning is I listen to a Christian radio station called K-Love on the way to and from work. And my work is about 45 to 60 minutes, so that's almost two hours in the car. And sometimes I even listen to it at work. If um, it gets too noisy, I'm allowed to listen to music. Um, and the radio station, I enjoy wor worshiping songs and encourage me, encourages me to lean on Jesus because there's a constant reminder, encouragement that he will never leave us or forsake us, and there's always hope in him. Sometimes during my commute, I will pray for people I've promised to pay, pray for during the week. If I see an accident, I will lift up the victims in prayer. If I get too close to a car, like I'm, we're changing lanes at the same time, I thank God for protecting me. During my lunch breaks, I read my daily bread. So these are just some of the things, a few examples of how I seek Jesus in my, Jesus in my daily life. And again, I'm still a definitely work in progress. So this week, I encourage you to try new ways of seeking the Lord. Um, like the, one of the songs we sang earlier, run into the arms of Jesus and experience the riches of his love. Thank you. Uh, here's uh, Jonah in his lawn chair, and uh, he gets more and more angry as the story goes on. And so in verse 9, he says, God, I'm so angry, I wish I could die. And Jonah is such a frustrating, such a frustrating character. In fact, I have sometimes wondered why it doesn't not a real good conclusion to the book of Jonah. I wondered why God leaves it there. And, uh, and Jonah, it does seem like, you know, he seems like he's taken two steps forward. And when we read his prayer in the great fish, you're like, wow, that's a great thing. And now he's right back to where he started from. He's just as much in his, in his sinfulness and in his pride and in his selfishness and his racism as he, as he was uh, to, at the beginning of the story. And, uh, and so I think of Jonah, but I also think of another person in the Bible who we think of as a person who took two steps forward and one step back. Remember the uh, Apostle Peter, 
one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Here is a guy that you, sometimes you look at and think, wow, now that's a great, that guy's, that guy's got it on. Like he's out, he's the one that walks on the water, but then he's out on the water and he takes his eyes off Jesus. It's like it's two steps forward, one step back. He's the one that uh, he, Jesus is talking to his disciples and they say, who does he, and he says, who do you say I am? And Jesus, and Peter's the one that says, I'm, you, you're the Messiah and he nails it. It's two steps forward. But then the very next passage, he says something so dumb that Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. You know you've said something dumb when Jesus calls you Satan. And so it's two steps forward, one step back. But here's Peter. And uh, Jesus' words are hard, and there are many that are turning away from him. And he kind of gives the disciples an out. He says, do any of you want to go as well? Because I know what I'm saying is really hard. Feel free to turn back if you want. And Peter's response is found in John 6, 38. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I think that's an important thing for us to remember in this battle against counterfeit gods. Sometimes we can grow discouraged and get frustrated, but really, where else are we going to go? You think uh, we've been, you, you may have been pursuing materialism your whole life. Are you now just going to let yourself go down that path? Because I guarantee you it doesn't lead to life. You may have been living for uh, your reputation and what others think of you your whole life. And now what are you going to do? Just give up and go down that path because it's not a good path. And we ought to be like uh, Peter that says, you know what, as difficult as it is, where else am I going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And so we come back to Jesus. I've got one more testimony this morning. And uh, I was talking to Inez the other day. And Inez has been following the Lord a long time. And so I asked Inez, what have you been learning about in the counterfeit gods? And, and I'd love for her to come and share uh, her thoughts along these lines, what she's been thinking about as we've been going through counterfeit gods. Inez? What I've been thinking about for quite some time is that no matter what kind of problems you have, there's only one person. There's no other way forward but with Jesus. Most of us remember the statement, who are you going to call? And we all know the answer. They always say Ghostbusters. (laughs) But in reality, when you're sick, when you feel lonely, when you feel you need comfort, when you feel your life is falling apart, when you need a lawyer, who do you call? Jesus. You don't need an appointment. You don't have to be placed on hold. When the office is closed, Jesus will take care of all your needs. There's a song that I really love. It says, Jesus is on the main line. Call him when you need him. Remember, his eyes is always on the sparrows. And I know he watches over us because I was getting ready to do something the other day and I said, don't do that. Jesus is watching you. (laughs) 
So when you move forward in your lives, who are you going to call? So that's the word. Uh, where else are we going to go? Uh, who else are we going to call on? Jesus ultimately is the one that can provide what our hearts are looking for. He can provide what all of these counterfeit gods they promise, but they all fail in what they promise. They're not going uh, to fulfill what we're really looking for. And so we come back to Jesus. And now I'll admit... In my own life, it feels like sometimes it is two steps forward and one step back. And so this morning, I'm going to give us, when we feel that way, when we feel like there's frustration in our lives, frustration in the battle against counterfeit gods, because this is a lifelong battle. And so I want to give us two steps forward when we feel this way. What, what are the steps that we're going to take then. And I'll admit these are both a little bit cheesy, but hopefully they're memorable. All right? And uh, so the first step we're going to take is a step of pep. All right? A step of pep. Say that with me. The first step we're going to take is step of pep. A step of pep is don't get discouraged. Be encouraged. Remind yourself of the grace of God. Remind yourself that God is patient with you, that he loves you so much. It's a step of pep where we come back and we're not going to just wallow in that sorrow and say, I'm going to stay there. We're going we're to take a step towards the Lord and we're going to remind ourselves that there is no other way. Jesus alone, where else are we going to go? Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. You know what Satan would love to do? He'd love for us to get frustrated in our, ba- in our spiritual battles and then to give up, to say, forget it, to get discouraged and to walk away. And unfortunately, I've seen far too many Christians who tried to live the Christian life and then grown frustrated and said, and then walked away from the faith. Sometimes for months, sometimes for years, sometimes for decades, sometimes forever. And what we need when we're feeling that frustration is we need to take a step of pep and to remember it's all worth it. Jesus is the way. And to take that step and to be encouraged and to not, uh, not sit in our frustration. And then the second step is a step of depth. A step of depth. Say that with me. The second step is a step of depth. In other words, we're going to go deep into the things of faith. Like Louisa was talking about and and Alma and and, and all four of them really to, to, to say we're going to come back to the Word of God. When we're frustrated, the temptation is to say, oh, I don't think there's any hope. Let's just forget about it. I come back and I read my creed all the time because i got to remind myself of the truth. i gotta, I got to get deep into the Word of God and who He says uh, that I am. And so we take a step of depth and we make sure that even when we're frustrated in our faith that we don't miss church on Sunday, We come and we sing the songs, even if at first we sing half-heartedly, but we're seeking to ground ourselves in the truth of God. We We take out God's Word and we read and we pray, even when we don't feel like we're worth it, because we're not. It's all the grace of God. We ground ourselves in the character and the truth of God. It's a step of pep and then it's a step of depth. 
What we didn't see is when the Ninevites heard the word that they are to repent, they declared a time of fasting across the whole city. And that was part of their repentance. And maybe it is in your battle with a counterfeit God, you're going to say, I'm going to have a season of prayer and fasting. And what you're doing is you're going deeper in your faith. You're doing something that you wouldn't normally do. You're digging your heels in. Maybe you say, I'm going to memorize a Bible verse that directly confronts the counterfeit God that you're wrestling with. But it's a step of depth and we're digging ourselves in. And we all need to do that because there are times in our lives where we grow frustrated, where we get discouraged. We know what the truth of God is and we wonder, why aren't I living it any more than I, than I am? Shouldn't I be done with those things? And what we need to do is, first of all, take a step of pep and remind ourselves, this is the way of God. It's the best way. Encourage ourselves. Where else am I going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we, and, we, and we remind ourselves of who we are in Christ, that God loves us. And then we take a step of depth and we, and we dig ourselves into God's truth even more. And we don't give up. It's like J- Jonah at first ran to Tarshish. We don't run the other way. But we go to where God uh, is leading us to go. And when we get there, that's a great feeling. But we may not be exactly where we want to be. It's a lifelong battle. And so we keep taking a step of pep and a step of depth. And as we do, God grounds us more and more in his truth and in his love. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this series in Counterfeit Gods. We thank you that we have been wrestling with these things. And we thank you for the conviction that you may have brought to our hearts. Because that conviction is a good thing. It leads us to Jesus. We pray that you would help us as individuals and even as a whole church. Just pour grace and your mercy upon us so that we could pursue you with our whole hearts. We decided a long time ago that uh, our mission statement is that we are to be uh, a, a church that is uh, seeking uh, your passion, God, a passion for you so that you are above all else in our lives, church, and community that we are to be about spreading a passion for you, God. And God, we pray that you would help us to do that. God, help us to continue to pursue you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.